If you're with us last week, you know we started this new series, Kingdom Come. And as we work further into our transition, here is my goal. My goal is that the Centralia Community Church of God would be an embassy. That we would be an embassy of the kingdom of God. That here in this little part of Centralia, that we would be known as something different. That we look like a little bit of a different kingdom here. Our priorities are different. Our care for people is different. The way we treat those who are suffering is different. The way we treat those who are struggling with sin and brokenness is different. That we are an embassy of something far bigger than uh, ourselves, pointing people towards God's desired future when Jesus will come again and, and there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. But in this time right now, we need to be the place where people see God at work. Amen? So we're going to dive a little bit into this this morning, and I want to take us uh, in, a, in a, another parable. This is parables that we're going to be looking at, and uh, we're going to go with a new parable this morning. But before we get that, I just want to start by saying something that uh, Walmart's kind of a strange place, isn't it? <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, I was at Walmart. I go to Walmart. I live out by Walmart. I live actually in a... Uh, in a travel trailer out at the Riverside Golf Course. So uh, Walmart tends to be my go-to place, and, and I, I was out there uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, you walk through the aisles. There's even websites, right? And as I walk through the aisles of Walmart, you're looking at some kind of interesting folks, and, some, and it's, it's pretty easy, you know, in your head to start, a, start kind of, uh, what's the word, stereotyping people and looking at folks and thinking, hmm, it's a unique outfit. Uh, and other things. And I was walking out of uh, Walmart, out to my car, and there were two big guys getting out of a pickup truck. And I only, I wouldn't have remembered it other than we locked, I locked eyes with one of the guys. Big old guy, well, not old, big young guy. Big beard, he had some angry t-shirts on. Kind of scary looking. And we locked eyes, and he kind of gave me the, uh, the stink eye. And I'm like... You know, I, it just, I, I thought, I wonder what I did. And as, as I was walking out towards him, uh, he, he turned around, he opened the back door of his car, and he reached in and grabbed something and spun around, and he was holding in his hand a puppy. <laughs> I know. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody likes a puppy, and there's something, all of a sudden, he was disarmed. You know, this great big guy, uh, and I know that my face sometimes can communicate things that my brain is not thinking. So I just thought, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. Plus, I'll just go over and talk to him about his puppy. So I went over and we just struck up a conversation. I go, you mind if I pet your puppy? And he goes, no, I'll pet my puppy. It's kind of fun. And we just had a little conversation. And through the course of it, I, he, he goes, uh, I told him I was new to the area. And he asked a little bit about that. And he turned out to be a perfectly nice gentleman. But I, it got me thinking as I, as I crisscross Walmart... As I walk around Centralia, as I visit places around the Northwest, as I consider folks in my community, in my neighborhood, uh, maybe for you, some folks you work with, people that are part of your clubs or your kids' sports teams or whatever, it's easy to start to generalize people. And I would argue in the past two years, as a society, we've moved to a point of, of oftentimes grotesque generalizations about other people that maybe look different from us, that act different from us. Uh, there was a time in this country, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, where you could uh, still disagree politically and have a, a pleasant conversation with another person or engage with them. 
I miss some of that. Sometimes we generalize, we make snap judgments as we observe, or as we observe people, as we observe, observe movements of people, groups of people. I have this deep concern about our society that we've stopped caring for each other. Uh, caring for people that look different from us. There are things right now to be angry about in our world. But I don't want to be ruled by my anger. There is such a thing, and I've talked about it, uh, as, as righteous anger. But one of the things I'm aware of in my own life is oftentimes, as much as I desire to be a person that has righteous anger when I do show anger, I know firsthand that oftentimes my anger is not righteous anger. And that before I am angry or judging another person, I should probably take some time to get to know them and have a conversation with them. You know, people are crying out right now to be seen. People are, I've been meeting with families lately, and people are just so hungry for a community where they can be loved and cared for in spite of some of the messiness of their life. I was thinking, anybody here, remember the Far Side, Gary Larson, the cartoons? I was talking to somebody this week about Far Side cartoons, and I thought of, I remembered this cartoon. I think we have it here. Do we have a picture of it? It's, uh, it's this penguin singing, I gotta be me. You know, just jumping out in the crowd, just trying to be seen. We live in a world where particularly young people are trying to be seen, and they're trying to stand out, and sometimes that gets them into some danger. They stand in ways that maybe God didn't design for them as they seek to find out who they are. Much of the world is chasing after finding their identity and they're looking for identity in all sorts of things. Sexuality, body art, none of these things, you know, God can use some of these things and certainly God is a God over our sexuality, but God designed things to function a certain way and I would argue whenever sports, that's a place where people find their identity, right? Whenever we try to find our identity in anything other than Jesus Christ, we're always going to fall short. And it's always going to create sort of a sorrow and anxiety in our life because it never fills what we need. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about community, love for one another, how we look at one another, how we care for one another. Last week we had a parable that was about seeds, if you were here. And you can watch all these online if you want. If you're at home and you missed, you can watch it again. We're going to have this parable about seeds last week. This week, we're going to transition a little bit, and we're going to have a parable about seeds. All right? So, I know, kind of fall into a little parable rut here, but it's also about seeds. And out of respect for God's word, why don't we stand as we read? We're going to be reading in Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Matthew writes, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did, this, where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvester, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them to my barn. Then skip down to verse 36. It says, then he left the crowd and went to into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is a son of man. 
The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out the he- uh, of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. God, would you give us ears to hear this morning? As we look at your word, God, help us to decide how we're to live in our community, what that means, what that looks like, how we're to be reflections of you in our workplace, on our sports teams, uh, in our neighborhoods. Uh, God, as we go to the stores, God, how are we supposed to look like you? There's so many opportunities placed in front of us every day, and so often we, we fail to pay attention to them. And in doing so, we miss opportunities, God, to be a reflection of you. Help us to become a reflection of you in this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's talk this morning about loving our community and what that looks like. First, this. We have to clearly understand the nature of the battle that we're in. All right? We need to understand the nature of the battle we're in. Jesus makes it easy for us here. Some of the parables he really doesn't explain. This one he explains, and he gives us some very clear definitions. The sower is Jesus, the son of, son of man, the son of God. God is the sower here. He's planting seed. The field is the world we live in. So we're in the field right now. Wheat, those are citizens of the kingdom of God, those who choose to follow Jesus Christ. Weeds are the follower of the devil. The weed sower is the devil. Harvest is judgment day. It is this future date when Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead. The harvesters are the angels. Now, why is it important that we know this? Well, when you go into battle, it's always important that you know the enemy. All right? Uh, we've been, there's been a war going on, right, in Europe that we've all been paying attention to. And I think it's an example we're starting to see of somebody who chose to attack somebody without knowing their enemy and without understanding who they were battling. Well, I think sometimes as Christians, we can do that too. We look at people and we make them the enemy. And I've always challenged myself first, but my family, my kids, that the enemy is the devil. And the devil is, 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 is wreaking havoc in the lives of people. And we're called to try to come and rescue people from the devil, right? And so we need to clearly define the enemy. And remember that guy that, annoy, that is annoying you because of the signs in his yard or because of the this or the that. They're not the enemy. The enemy's the enemy. They're a person. They may be a misguided person, but they're a person. And God desires that they come to know him. Paul defines our battlefield as well. We are involved in something. Too often we look around and we fail to recognize that we're in a battle that we don't always see. And in fact, it is the real battle that is going on. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, Paul says this. For those of you who grew up in the church, it'll probably be a familiar phrase to you. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Make no doubt about it, there is a devil, and he is wreaking havoc. Now, I'm not one of these pastors that spends too much time giving the devil his due and talking about the devil. I don't want to give him too much credit, okay? But I think we would also make a mistake if we were not to acknowledge that there are forces of evil that are unseen that are destroying people right now. And I would argue in the last several years, the devil has been having some really good times. And we as a church are called to identify that enemy and step in and fight back. We're involved in a spiritual battle. Today, we often fight against people and lack an eye for the actual enemy, the really uh, dark forces battling in the heavenly realms. That's one of the reasons, folks, where prayer is going to be essential to this community. And when we're going to hit on prayer over, I'm going to sound like a broken record. We've got to be a praying people. You've got to sign up and pray. You've got to show up on Wednesday night. We're going to move this kingdom forward. Uh, here in, in, in Lewis County, but it's going to start with prayer. God is already at work even before we go ahead. God is working, and we join with him when we pray. Now, next, we need to increase our discernment and decrease our judgment. By the way, I, uh, this is one of those where I've got like, uh, what is the old saying? I got one finger pointing at you and three pointing back at me. Anybody ever heard that before? I am such... I am just lavish in my judgment of people. Uh, if, if, if you want some stories, my wife's here this morning, you can talk to her, and most of my judgment happens of people uh, in the car. Anybody else? <laughs> and about 80% of that occurs in a roundabout. I don't know, anybody, is anybody, anybody else, right? The roundabout, it's, it's, really, it's really a place where sanity goes to die. But I do it in other areas too. I'll look at people and cast judgment on them. I'll say they're this or they're that, and it can be dangerous. We need to be a discerning people, though. There is evil in the world. The difference between discernment and judgment is, you know, uh, that is evil is discernment. I want to condemn you is judgment. God is the judge. The, discernment is the quality to be able to grasp and comprehend things that are obscure. And so we need to be able to look out into the world and go, you know, that's not God's plan there, and so I need to take a stand, but I'm going to love people who are being swallowed up by that. I'm going to try to care for them. Now, sometimes they may reject me, but I'm going to love them anyway. Now, Paul talks about this field, the world. We need to be able to look across, uh, excuse me, Matthew talks about this field of the world, and we need to be able to look out across the field and understand it. And in this story, discernment is challenging. We've got two grains at play here. One is wheat. And the other is likely a poisonous weed that still exists called darnel. Okay? And right there, that's a picture of mature wheat and mature darnel. But here's the challenge. When they're first sprouting, when these are young plants that are growing into adolescence and then maturity, it is almost impossible to tell the wheat from the darnel. Only when they're mature could they, have been, could they be distinguished from one another. By the way, this parable would have been really understood quite well by first century hearers. There were actual uh, Roman laws that criminalized planting darnel in the field of a competing farmer. Okay? 
This was not an unknown practice that, that people would go out and, and try to destroy fields of their competitors by, by sowing Darnell. So imagine the world. We're looking out at the world right now. We're looking out at, at Centralia and Chehalis and Rochester and Tenino and Adna and Napafine, and we're looking out and we see all these shoots coming up. But right now, as we look out at folks, we can't tell which are wheat and which are weeds. So we have a choice to take. It's easy for us to judge, right? We look out and we see our neighbor, the one with the angry t-shirts or the girl in the band with the beautiful soprano voice or, or maybe the, the woman in the Mercedes who seems arrogant and aloof, the quiet teen that mows your lawn, the teacher who seems to have it all together, the kid in the trench coat who's all alone and by himself. We look out and we really don't know where they stand, do we? In this room today, there's a couple hundred people. We look around. We don't know where each other all, we don't know where every heart is in this building. But here's what we can know as discerning people that God is working in the hearts of men and women. Some that know him, but he goes before and starts to work in the hearts of people that don't know him yet. Church, this is exciting. We are here for such a time as this. This is part of our new transition. This is part of our reset. What goes on here is important, but it's, it's not as important as what goes on when we leave this place. Here we come to recharge and restore and to worship, but we need to go out into these fields and we need to live like Jesus and point people towards him. From, from Little Rock to Nampavine, there's about 75,000 people, and we mentioned last week a majority of these folks don't know Jesus. 75,000 people, that's more than fi who fit into Lumen Field where the, where the Seahawks play. It's interesting what happens here. To me, the crux of this parable is this. Jesus' servants, that's us in this parable, people of the kingdom. Jesus' servants come to him and go, hey, you want us to go pull the weeds and put them in the fire? Because that's what they did with the weeds, right? How many of you want to put your neighbor in the fire occasionally, right? And Jesus says, no, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Yikes. Servants say, we say, let's go pull the weeds. Let's condemn the weeds. Let's burn down the weeds. And Jesus says, wait. There's this old Hebrew parable. It's not in the Torah. It's sort of taught in, in Hebrew culture about uh, Father Abraham. And Father Abraham is in, is in his house one evening, and he sees an old, old man approaching. And this old man looks hungry and battered down and beaten. And so Father Abraham goes and invites him into his house and uh, prepares him a meal and gets ready to prepare him a bed and we sit down to share a meal together and Father Abraham looks down as though he's going to begin to pray and he looks up and he sees that the, the man is already eating. And Father Abraham says, do you not come to God and give thanks before you eat? And the man says, I worship only fire. I trust no God. And Father Abraham becomes incensed. And he reaches over and he grabs the man by his collar. And he uh, slaps him and he brings him to the edge of the house and throws him out. A while later, God visits Abraham and he says, Where's the man I sent you? 
And Abraham says, well, God, he did not worship you. And so I threw him out. And God says to Abraham, I have been patiently suffering this man for 80 years. Could you have not suffered him for one night? It's an interesting parable. A lot of us in our life can identify people that have been challenging or difficult, that are hostile towards Christianity and Christians, and God suffers them. God patiently works with them, through them. He may be working in their life already, and we don't know. And he desires to, for us to play a role in bringing them to him. We can judge a person's opinion. We can judge a person's behavior. We cannot judge the heart. Therefore, we must mingle with wheat and weed. And love them both while we're here. Many parables have been drawn between this parable and some words in Second Peter. It says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, or some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's interesting that that, that little verse in Second in, in Peter follows the same pattern as this parable. But the key point there is this. The, low is, the Lord is slow, and patient, not wanting anyone to, to, to suffer in hell. Now, this is really good news to me. Let me tell you why I really like this verse. Maybe this will resonate with some of you. For much of my young life, particularly in my first several years of college, I looked a whole lot like a weed. Some of you did too. I looked a lot like a weed. But there were some people in my life, I could give you their names, who had this notion that maybe God wasn't done. And so they loved me in spite of my weediness. And they loved me back into the kingdom. And I'm so grateful for that. Are there people in your life who need that right now? Since we don't know who the good seed is and the bad seed is oftentimes, we serve them, we love them, and we proclaim Jesus to both of them. Look at Jesus himself. I love this passage. and in, in, Also in the book of Matthew, back in chapter nine, there's this story. Jesus is actually having dinner at Matthew's house, and it says, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Huh? Right? Shocking? Well, the Pharisees saw it and thought so. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who don't you want to have over for dinner? Who don't you want to have over for dinner? Who would be embarrassing to have walk through your front door? That's who Jesus met with. One of my favorite characters in the last couple years in, in Christianity is a missionary by the name of, he had the best missionary name ever. Some of you maybe have heard his name. Lots of famous quotes this guy has. 
but his name was C.T. Stud. God knew what he was doing when he gave him that name because C.T. Stud was a stud. And what, he wrote this poem once, and I, I love it. He died in 1931. He was, he was kind of a, I think he was famous, also a famous cricketer uh, in England, but uh, played cricket. But I think that this is one of his most famous quotes, and I love it. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Isn't that cool? I'm going to say it again. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Folks, we need to be out here. You know what I'm not interested in? It, it means little or nothing is if we all go out and find friends who go to other churches and say, hey, why don't you come to our church? That just moves people around. It doesn't do any work for the kingdom. We need to be out in our community with hurting people. By the way, they're not all poor people. There's a lot of wealthy people that feel lost and hurting and lonely and isolated, sometimes because of wealth. I want a church that's going out and looking for folks within a yard of hell. That's what we're called to be. Stud also said this. This is a little bit more theological, but he said, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the battlefield. I like that. The, the devil go, whoo! You know? Mike's gone. Whew. Thank goodness. Keith is gone. Thank goodness. You know? Others. Insert name here, right? Ricky's gone. I mean, easier for me now. Let's make things hard for the devil. The people that he's destroying right now, they aren't our enemies. We have a chance to step in and speak truth and love to them. By the way, we may be rejected. That's okay. We try anyway. You see, our call to evangelism is incredibly urgent. It must be a priority to this church. It has to be a priority. Folks, we live in a, I'm sad to say it, a post-Christian world. Much of what covers for Christianity right now is just self-help. It has no light and truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a people who believe that salvation comes by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We are a people who believe that the God of the universe in all of his love became man. He became Jesus Christ. He walked this earth. He felt the pain that we feel, the, the anxieties that we know he knew, and yet he died for us because he loves us so much. And he died for your neighbor as well. And he died for that annoying relative as well. You know, if Jesus, if Jesus had a refrigerator, he'd have a picture of you on it. You know, he loves you that much. But he'd probably have a picture of your neighbor too. And so we're called to be those agents that go out and do that. Look how Jesus ends this parable. It's the same way that the, the passage out of Peter sort of wrapped up. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out the, of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will, be thrown, they, will, they will throw them into the blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By the way, Darnell was used for a purpose. 
It was not edible, it was poisonous, but it was used as fuel. So this imagery would have been uh, familiar to them. It was used as a heating fuel. The reality is this. Those, let me say this, those who don't know Jesus at the end of the age face a horrible, horrible separation from him. And church, we should not celebrate that. Yes, we should celebrate the end of evil and sin. But the Bible tells us that God desires that no man would perish, and he desires us to be his agents on earth, pushing, pulling, nudging, loving people into the kingdom. Dying people who are dying in sin should bother us because we love God's most precious creation, people. But are we brave enough to take the risks necessary to show it? Church, our field is Lewis County. It's Walmart. It's across the street at the high school or down at uh, West High School. It's in coffee shops. It's in our workplaces. The field is our cul-de-sac or street. Here's the thing. We came here to worship today because we are called to come and gather together and worship. But if our focus on God and the mission of God stays in this room, we have failed at our task. There are doors there and there and there, there, there. Our mission begins when we walk out those doors. When we walk into this world. It's easy to want to shake a fist at this world. I want to do it from time to time too. It's easy to get angry. I get frustrated. Turn on the news You want to get me frustrated? Give me 20 minutes of news. But God is bigger than anything I turn on on the news. And he desires me to be not him, but like him in the world. If it just stays here, this message, we miss the point. We follow a patient God whose blessings fall on wheat and weed. Can we love? Can we take risks to reach out? See, that's a big thing. Sometimes it requires saying, how you doing? You want to talk? Do you need a friend? Have you ever considered Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? These are tough conversations, but they are vital conversations. I long for one day to get to heaven and have somebody come. I don't know if this will happen, but I'd love if somebody came up to me in heaven goes who said, thanks for sharing Jesus with me. I know you took a risk. I know you took a risk. I know it was weird for you but it changed my future, it changed my eternity. One of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible is found in the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. It says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Are you ready to take that challenge?